Well, shalom, shalom. I did better this morning. I must be tired. I'm in church a lot, so to me, I like to have fun in the pulpit. I like to enjoy what I'm doing and um, enjoy life, so to speak. But uh, I'm excited about tonight. Hopefully, we be a blessings to you. Uh, quickly, um, uh, thank you so much for allowing us to come. Y'all have a great mission house, and uh, I'm sure you've been told that many, many times. And let me add another one to it. But uh, just so comfortable and so relaxing. Uh, we got to get the candy out, though. It's for us diabetics. Um, Deb was ready to call 911 for a little bit. I overdosed. But uh, anyhow, uh, I'll move on. That's not y'all's fault. But uh, uh, we have some left of our display. Most of it we could not bring. I brought all the books I could. And the last couple of churches just took them all out. So if you're interested, let me know. Um, we uh, uh, have the Israel trip next March. Uh, and if you have interest, uh, we have a, a, a brochures on the table. Uh, it'll be the greatest Bible study you ever will do in your life. It, to me, it's uh, uh, impactful. It'll be my 15th um, uh, trip. And so I enjoy uh, uh, leading them and, and seeing people. It's my time to minister to you. Uh, we also, uh, uh, I was telling the pastor, we've been doing a virtual tour to Israel. On my website, you can go on it. There are, we just finished our 30th file of uh, places, locations there in Israel. We spent most of our time in Jerusalem at different locations. And each file is almost an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And uh, our class goes for an hour and a half. So uh, most of it is dealing with me teaching. But um, uh, it's about to be turned into a college class at several Bible colleges. It's already being used at one Bible college. And we have a missionary to Brazil, a uh, well-known veteran independent Baptist missionary. He's been on our webs- our uh, Zoom uh, uh, ministry uh, when I do the virtual tour, and he wants it translated into Portuguese. And so um, uh, I was telling your pastor when I had a professional guy say he would translate it for us, he took one file, and he came back and said, it's done, looks good, and uh, the bill will be $500, please. And I got 32 of them, so you do the math. And so um, uh, we do have others, but uh, your pastor was telling me that maybe someone would want to um, 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 go and pay towards one of them. And so that could be uh, what, uh, uh, if you want to make that donation, you can. Uh, it, again, it goes to the translators um, that will be doing the work. It's also hopefully being translated in Spanish as well. Might turn your Bibles to the book of Titus. Uh, I had three messages. I wasn't sure which one I wanted to preach. And I still want to do one of them. I'm just going to do uh, uh, the Titus one. It'll be the message. But you're in a mission conference. I love mission conferences. And your pastor did so good today in talking about giving, why you should give and all that. Let me go just a little bit step farther. Uh, we give our tithes and our, what's it called? Offerings. Where does that come from? The Old Testament basis. And a tithe is what you owe. You haven't given anything when you give a tithe. So when you give an offering, and you're in a mission conference now raising offerings, the offerings in the book of, I always like to not say it too many times, the book of Leviticus. Wake up. Leviticus. Seriously, you say Leviticus, people's eyes start going back of their heads and they want to fall asleep. 
but uh, uh, you lead, read uh, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, the, the burnt, the meat, the peace, the sin, trespass offering. When you're giving these offerings and the mission conference as well, what you're doing is, God, here's what you've done through me this week. And I want to give an offering because they were voluntary. There's nobody's got a gun to your head. At least, preacher, I don't think you've done that yet. Uh, and uh, no gun to your head. This is as God's working through you on a daily, weekly basis. And you come to church and when the offering is passed and you put nothing in, you're saying, God didn't do anything for me. And how sad is that? God's done so much for you and I. So uh, when you understand giving, uh, it's exciting time that you get to give and that the Lord's blessing you. You get to show that uh, as in Bert, when you pray, thank God for your salvation, uh, the meat where God's giving your food. You got the refrigerator full, right? And uh, the, uh, um, um, the uh, um, God, a vow offering, the God has answered your prayer. How many of y'all had prayer answered? Uh, when's the last time you gave an offering thanking God? Why should God answer your prayer? Why should God answer my prayer? Who am I? Who are you? Yet God answered our prayers, and we ought to give back. It's like when you have a son or a daughter, and they say, uh, Dad, uh, uh, can I have some money? And you say, uh, well, son, I'd like to give you some money, but I'd like to see your house, your room cleaned, uh, haircut, this, that, and the other. I want to see some man, uh, outward manifestation of that. And so trespass, uh, sin offering, and trespass offering. It teaches you how to give. That's not my sermon. That's sermon part one. So we're in Titus chapter two. I had to get that out there. When you learn to give, mission giving, when you learn that how impactful it is, all you're saying is here's what God has done to me, and I'm going to, sh- Lord, thank you. And uh, it's not just money. It's your time, talent, as well as missions. So you're supposed to reach the world. You can't do it unless you have missionaries who are doing it. So they're going in your steed. They're going for you. So we're in Titus chapter 2 as I get in the real sermon. And uh, I had to give that part of it. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand one more time? Make me feel at home. I've got to hurry. Titus chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Ooh, I like that. Sound doctrine. That the aged men may be, uh, may be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. Is that you? Well, maybe you're not the aged one, but uh, you still should be that way. The aged woman, I won't go there. Uh, Likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, and keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary may be ashamed, having no evil things to say of of you. Look at verse 11 now. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts We should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Let's pray our gracious Heavenly Father. Thank you again for the opportunity and privilege. Lord, we ask now as this mission conference, uh, our part uh, here tonight, uh, may it be an impactful one. May it be one, help us to understand our motivation, 
of what we're supposed to be doing every day and our motivation is serving Christ. Lord, if we lose this picture, this thought, Lord, it's going to cause us problems and bring difficulty to us. Impact us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray and with thanksgiving. Amen. You may be seated. What is your daily motivation? Some people say, well, my daily motivation is to go work, work my job, pay my bills, take care of my family. Those are all good things. But what is your daily motivation for serving God? Now, I'm going to give you a title yet. I'll, I'll give it to you maybe in a little bit. But uh, I, I like to uh, let you think about this a little bit before I actually give it to you. So uh, I want you to uh, understand those, all those items that Titus is bringing about, the aged men, the aged women, the teaching of young, that is a daily motivation that is supposed to help us each day. The key statements of each one of those is that this, what was motivating them to do that? What was their motivation to be obedient to God's word? And the answer was looking for that blessed hope. And that uh, glorious appearing to the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of why we have the motivation to do what we do. There has to be an urgency. The one thing that we lack most of our time is urgency. Most of us, um, we kind of have a, a, well, I'll do it someday. Uh, I remember years ago when Deb and I were first married, we were, I call it back in B.C., Four children. And um, uh, we had gone, we were going to buy one of those stereos, you know, one of those big things, you know, they bought back then. And, and uh, it had an uh, eight track and cassette. I mean, it was a cat's meow, quadraphonic. And everything we wanted, went to Sears. It was on sale. And so I looked at it. Salesman came over, told us this, that, and the other about it. And then he said to us, well, now, if you want to buy this stereo at this price, because it was on sale, you need to Buy it within the next hour because it ends tonight. Well, we've been saving for it. We knew that was what we wanted. But my motivation was to have to buy it now was because the sale was going off. Of course, I was young, didn't know if you weigh a little bit. Uh, it'll probably be cheaper uh, the next month or two. We didn't know that. But as a believer, what occupies your mind each morning? What is your motivating factor? What pushes you to bring your lost friends? That's where we're missing motivation, and loved ones to church. What motivates you to give your time and your talent to your church? Why give the missions? Special offerings? Many think, well, it's, it's my duty. If I don't do it, the preacher says I'm a backslidden heathen. Well, that's not the right motivation. The old saying is so true. Do God's work for the right reason and the right way, and God will rightly bless you. Now, I'm a little old, but there is a comic strip, Lil Abner. How many of y'all remember Lil Abner? Yeah, I see all, all our ages. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, Joe, uh, Al Cap ended in 1979, by the way, and uh, from 1909. And uh, they had this uh, very in, uh, character in the uh, Lil Abner uh, called Joe uh, Politic. He has no vowel in his last name. So I just call him Joe. He always had a rain cloud, remember, over his head? And if you look at his shoes, there was holes in his feet. He always had bad luck. Nothing ever went right for him. It was always, a, uh, he was an iconic character. And uh, uh, he always had that dark cloud. And so 
What do you have hanging over your head? What is over your head every day, every hour, whether you're asleep or awake? What is motivating you? And Joe's uh, part, he was always making bad decisions, bad luck, everything. And today we have so much impulse buys, things like that. If you can comprehend what I'm trying to get across in this message tonight, if we can take it to heart, it will clear up. Now listen, it's going to clear up many of our problems that we have. It'll point us in the right direction. That's our problem. Um, any direction towards God is the right direction. Many times invitation time. People, I'm not sure what I need to do. Well, go ahead and take a step out and uh, talk to the Lord here. Talk to the pastor. But uh, as a believer, what is hovering over your head? When I say believer, I say one who has repented of their sins and called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Do you know how powerful that is? I can call out, I hate to do this, but Joe Biden. And he ain't going to do anything. But yet I can take the most powerful guy in this house, this church, and uh, pick on the guy with the tie there. With the, he's a big guy. I can. What's your name, sir? Give me your name again. Uh, Russ. Russ. And you know I can stop him without touching him. Russ, would you get up for a second? Come here. No, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead and stop. Stop. Go ahead and go and sit down. Look at that. I just called his name. What power I had to stop him and make him sit down. If he had come up here, tear me apart. I don't have a chance. You think about that. Second. You call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. Excuse me. I can do that. Yes, you can. And God listens when he calls your name. As a believer, I mean one who is reading and studies their Bible. Study to show that proof, uh, study shows itself, prove to God that workmen need might be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're studying. Not, uh, well, I look at it sometimes and here now and then. That's why going to Israel is the greatest revival you'll ever do. As a believer, one who's supposed to be Christ-like. The Bible tells us to number our, uh, our footsteps, Psalms 90. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So we look at the world, we look at the, our life, we look at what we're doing in life through the lens of the Bible. And that's how we are as believers are supposed to be. There's a particular Bible doctrine that teaches, that will help you get ourselves in that biblical path. That will take care of so many problems. But if you lose this process, this thought, if you lose this impactful teaching we're going to struggle in our daily life and we're going to be given over to impulse buys. The process never goes away. It never grows dim. It's always like that little Abner cartoon. It's always hanging over our head if we're a believer in Christ. The title of the message is The Imminent Return of Christ. Yeah. Well, normally we get when you preach a message and you want to get an amen, you say the Lord's coming Soon, everybody will shout, Amen! But you know, I've been preaching, traveling, and I've been saved now 40, plus, uh, 40 I've been saved uh, since uh, 72, 1972, and I can't remember ever hearing just a message on the imminent. The word imminent is Latin from imino, means to overhang. This is what I've been getting at, over your head. 
It, over, it projects. It can happen at any moment. And just as that little Abner, uh, it's not bad luck, though. But the word imminent tells us that it can happen at any moment. All events have been cleared. Revelation 1 says, blessed is he that readeth. Have you read the word of God? You've read the book of Revelation? And then it says, not just readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy. So it's not just read. It's not just hear. And keep. Oh, that's what we got to do. Keep those things which are written there. And for time is at hand. This is Revelation chapter 1. Everything that has to be done has been done. Death, burial, resurrection. Christ is uh, 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 there building our mansion and, uh, uh, and uh, the word of God is closed and all we're waiting now is for the shout, the coming back. When something's truly imminent, we never know exactly when it will happen. Imminence is the combination of two conditions, certainty and uncertainty. By imminent event, we mean one which is certain to occur, but at some time uncertain at what time it will happen. Time plays no factor in this when the event will happen. We can't know the exact day or the moment that will happen or it's not imminent. We can't set a date as that destroys the concept of the imminency of the return. That's why I got so upset when uh, Hagee wrote his book that he stole from another uh, a preacher, The Blood Moon. And uh, uh, it's funny because the guy that actually got the, the material tried to write his the next year he sold a 1,000 copies, and, of course, Hagee made millions. Unfortunately, I kept saying something big was going to happen. Wink, wink, we know what that is, Christians, don't we? And, of course, it didn't happen, and he didn't give anybody their monies back. And as your preacher said, buyer beware. But uh, we can't say the event will happen soon, as that implies that the event must take place within a short time. By contrast, an imminent event may take place within a short time, but it may be another uh, 20, 30, 50 years. The, thus, imminent does not equal soon. There was a popular song some years ago by Andre Crouch where it said, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Maybe you've heard that song. And that's why you don't want songwriters who have no theology to write things like that uh, because he wasn't right. So the, this is illustrated as the imminent return of Christ was just as it was in the New Testament, as it was written even today. We don't know when it will have that exact day. I, I, let me illustrate it this way. Some years ago, my uh, wife was about to have our second child, 1981. And uh, we did all the preparation, went in, paid the bill and all that stuff. And we went to do all that as you paid the monthly payments. Uh, we were looking at the, uh, their rules and we've noticed them very closely. We looked at them. When you don't have any money, that's what you do. And um, it said that they do not prorate. So if you go in at 11.55 p.m., uh, you, that five minutes you're there, you have to pay a whole day's cost of the hospital room. And 12.01 a.m. is, is, is uh, uh, now the second day. And so we began discussing what will we do if that indeed took place. And so I said, uh, well, as long as you're not in any type of danger or the baby in any danger, we will sit in the car. <laughs> and that's exactly what we did. 
And it was 11.50 when we got to the hospital. And, of course, you know, uh, uh, she's doing okay. And so we sat there for about seven minutes, eight minutes. And then we got out, and I made sure they notated that it was 12.04 that that took place. So, uh, but we didn't know. When, and, of course, she gave birth to, to Rachel uh, that morning, and uh, they sent her home that afternoon. But uh, uh, the imminent, we don't know when it's going to happen, but we have to be prepared, just like the baby. We had everything all prepared. We had everything uh, put off the side, what she had to have wear and all that stuff and clothing. So we had everything prepared, and that's what we are doing now, preparing for our Lord's coming. Let's look at this word imminent. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Behold, I show you a ministry. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. A lot of times babies uh, in their, uh, the, in the, uh, where the babies have their changing, they have that, that verse of scripture there. But it says, In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be, cha- we shall be changed. R.C. Linsky said, the simple fact is that Paul did not know when Christ would return. He was in the exact position in which we are. All that Paul knew, all that we know, is that Christ may come at any moment. The word imminent is the word perusia. It just gives you a Greek word. I want you to know it just because you read books and you're going to hear scholars and other people. They'll they'll just say instead of the word imminent, they'll just say perusia. And it just speaks of a presence, arrival, official visits used 24 times. It's used for some other people as well. But 17 of the times actually deals with the second coming of Christ. And so Paul even referenced this coming of Christ at the Lord's Supper, when you prepare and do the Lord's Supper, you don't have the table out, I was thinking you may have, but uh, uh, for 1 Corinthians 11 says, for as oft as you do eat this bread, you know about this, how many of y'all have taken the Lord's Supper, everybody? Okay, and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death, what? Till he come, his coming, this is what we're waiting on, this is the blessed event, the blessed hope is the, is the rapture of the saints. 1 Corinthians 16, 22 tells us that if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. And then he uses the word maranatha. The word maranatha has a lot of eschatological statements concerning Christ's coming. It's an Aramaic expression. It means our Lord come. They're asking for our Lord to come. That's our hope. That's what we're looking forward for it to take place. Barclay explained it this way. It is strange to meet an Aramaic Phrase, because the word um, uh, um, Maranatha is a Greek, is an Aramaic phrase in a Greek letter to a Greek church. The explanation is that phrase had become a watchword, a password. It summed up the vital hope of the early church, and Christians would whisper it to each other, identifying with each other by it. In a language others could not see and understand. When I was in Israel in 2005, when I was studying part of my PhD work, um, a guy came up to me. And in Jerusalem, it's very, very dangerous to witness on the street. Uh, because uh, if you get caught witnessing, someone will call. There's signs all over there. And it says, see a missionary. And a missionary is anybody that 
witnesses to someone. He says, see a missionary, call this number. And they'll call that number within five to seven minutes. You'll have 18, 20 um, uh, Orthodox Jews, young men coming up and they'll split off. One will go to the person you're witnessing to and chastise that person for listening. And then they'll come after you and they'll try to get you in the fight. They'll even sometimes try to hit you, but stop. And if you actually try to stop it, they got video. They call the police and guess who's in jail? Not them, you. And I know several that did. So my, my point here is that, so this man, this man came up to me and he said, do you know Yeshua HaMashiach? Of course, that's the Hebrew name for Jesus the Messiah. And then he hands me a DVD. This is all done, I mean, he probably said that far from my ear and then handed me a DVD and walked off. And so it's a way of witnessing that you have to do in Jerusalem. Now, other places in Israel, you can do a little bit more. As long as you're 18 and older, you can, you're technically allowed by law, but it can be very difficult. But again, Maranatha was the word that they would use to show that they were believers. Now, we don't have that problem right now, but I hate to say this, but in another 20, 30 years, I think we're going to have that problem because you're, we're going to be looked down upon even more. Well, Philippians 4, 5 says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That's how the Philippians thought was going to take place. Harold pointed out that the imminence of the Lord's return is used, and this is the whole point of what I'm trying to get, the imminent return, is a motivation for Christian conduct. This does not mean that the apostles contemplated a return tomorrow. In another place in this letter, he admits the possibility that he might die before the anticipated event transpired. Philippians 1.23, For I'm a straight between two, having desired to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. And he reveals plans, though, that he, was to, uh, that he had made. In Philippians 2.23, he says, Him, therefore, I hope to sin presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. So Paul was saying, look, it could happen any moment, but, you know, I'm going to do all I can until that blessed event, and so we're going to plan things out. So we're to plan everything as we, we should. In Corinth, there were people who were literally thinking the Lord was coming back that week, ran to the hills, and uh, so they were struggling. While the Lord's return may not be here, it is near. That's the point. And the Christians must, we must conduct ourselves accordingly. Paul had taught the truth, but in typical fashion, the lay people had taken it too far. The best preparation, now listen, the best preparation for our Lord's return is the faithful performance of our present duties in this church. You say, what am I supposed to be doing, preacher? Doing your duties in this church, seeing it go forward, seeing the mission program grow, continue to grow. We've got to get the gospel out. They're looking for that blessed hope. Now, that hope isn't some type of wish. I hope he comes back. I hope he comes back. No, no. It, it's not a wish. For what has been assured and promised. He's coming back. We don't know when, but he's coming back. And that hope, it's blessed. Joy from salvation, part of Christ's church. When we see him at that rapture, what a time that will be. All the troubles as I preached in Sunday school, like a baby, the birth uh, baby, all the troubles you go through in life, uh, having a child, getting ready to have a child, all the difficulties. Oh, but when that baby is born, all, all things are forgotten. 
when we see and hear the shout, all that we've gone through, all that money you got saved in your 401k, you're not going to get to, uh, you, all those things, uh, the, the cars and the houses and all, nothing wrong with those, please don't get me wrong. If you're giving your uh, uh, tithes and you're giving your offerings, you're giving the missions, you're doing all that you can. Why should Christians always be prepared for Christ's coming unless that coming could take place at any moment? Because we all procrastinate. 1 John 2 says, and now little children, abide. Abide is a command. Christians are continuously abide in Christ when he shall appear. 1 John 2, 28 says, when lets us know that whenever this event will happen, we are to be steadfast. So we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Oh, that's our one thing we miss. We're really fearful. I don't want the Lord to come back so soon. I got things I want to do. We always joke, preacher talked about the uh, Lord's coming back. Whenever I lead a trip, trip to Israel, I always tell everybody, Lord, I want the Lord to come back the last day of the trip to Israel. The last day. And then I always tell everybody else that don't go, doesn't go with us, we're going to see Jesus before you. Because, see, we're closer. <laughs> I'm joking, but uh, it sounds good. But uh, anyhow, the point of, this, uh, point of what we're trying to say is we're to do our very best. That's all God asks of us. There is no S on my chest. I'm no Superman, you're Superwoman. There is no such thing, super Christian, no such uh, uh, importance of that, uh, uh, that we are that. All we can do is our very best. And if you're giving God your best, that's all he can give. But the problem is most of us are given leftovers. Preacher, I'll pay my bill if I can pay my bills and, and take care of that boat payment, the car payment, and uh, that new house we got. And uh, I also want a few other things, that new gun and for hunting. But, but I'll give my missions. Yeah. No, no, no. It's tithe you owe. It's missions that you're giving are special offerings. I notice you got a special offering for your love, your church, special offerings and things like that. And then you live so that you can be and give. That, that's how we're supposed to live. There's nothing wrong with having a boat. There's nothing wrong with having something nice uh, that God gives you. Nothing wrong with that at all as long as you're giving as God has given and told you to give. Charles Spurgeon said this about this imminent coming of Christ. This is our motivation. If you miss this, if you wake up and forget about it, this causes you to do the wrong thing. Spurgeon said this, the date of that coming is concealed. When he shall come, no man can tell. Watch for him. Oh, that's the point. And be always ready. Remember, we got ready for the baby. We had things ready for weeks. That ye may not be ashamed at his advent. Should a Christian man go into worldly assemblies and amusements? I used to tease um, Dr. Art Wilson, a great preacher of yesteryear. He's gone to glory. And he was 88 when my pastor and I picked him up at the airport. And I said, Dr. Wilson... I said, don't you think it's time you retire and let us young bucks, you know, preach? And he looked at me and said, brother, I can die in the pulpit just as easy as I can die in the rocking chair. And a matter of fact, uh, two days before he passed away, he was scheduled to speak in a church in Florida. He called the pastor up and said, pastor, I can't come. I'm not feeling good. The pastor said, Dr. Wilson, you're coming to preach. Preacher, I can't come. He said, you're going to preach to my people this Sunday. And he did, by the way, of a telephone. Had him call and preach his message over the phone. 
I thought, wow, what a, what, a, what a testimony. But why shouldn't we go into worldly establishments? Could you imagine if the rapture comes and that's where you're at, how ashamed you'll be? Would he, as Spurgeon continued, said, would he not be ashamed should his Lord come and find him among the enemies of the cross? I dare not go where I should be ashamed to be found should my Lord come on a sudden. Suppose his Lord should there and then come. Would he not be ashamed at his coming? How about if you haven't forgiven someone? Spurgeon said, I'll, said that someone might say, I'll never forgive what you did and you'll never darken my door. Would you not be ashamed that the Lord came and found you unforgiving? Oh, that we may abide in him and never be in such a state that his coming would be unwelcome to us. Beloved, so live from day to day in duty and in devotion, that your Lord's coming would be timely. See, most people will say, well, Lord, please come back next week. I can't pay that bill that I owe. Or I, I, I really don't want to face my professor. I didn't do the homework. It's amazing what we have a ripcord that we're hoping the Lord comes back. Go about your daily business and abide in him. And then his coming. Oh, when you're serving God, and I can see it now, we're, you're in church and we're preaching, and all of a sudden, we're all gone. It'll be a delight to you. One more point, and we'll be finished. This one always bothered me a little bit. In Revelation chapter 22, He which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. This word come is an imperative mood indicating that the spirit and church were so eager for Christ to come back. Now listen, they commanded him to fulfill his promise to come quickly. Now I have a little problem commanding God to do anything. But yet God said he was coming back. And so Lord, we want you to come back. See, a lot of us love this world too much. And uh, we, we, want, we, we, got, we got a lot of investments in this world. We got investments in stocks. We got investments in bonds. You got investments in uh, uh, your uh, hobbies and uh, all sorts of things. And our investments is not in, in spiritual things. Can you imagine all the missionaries you're supporting, all the souls they're saving, and you are an unindicted co-conspirator? You know what that means? That was big back in Nixon's time. That means that you have part in that missionary that's on the field. Your giving allowed him to stay and do the work and building the churches that he's doing. And you have the privilege and the blessings to be involved with it, to have an a, a, a impact, have a, a part in that, that man's uh, work. And all the blessings that he's getting with the souls being saved is also accounted to you. Because without your support... That missionary can't stay on the field. It is we're to command for Lord to come back. And we're supposed to demand that he did. How convinced are you to ask the Lord to come back? Most of us, well, maybe next week. I, I want to see if the Cowboys make it to the Super Bowl. One can conclude that the New Testament church and the apostles had the fervent expectancy that although Christ's coming might not happen for a long time, it could take place any moment. It was the expectancy of the church that they constantly are watching and preparing for Christ's coming at any moment. The Feast of Trumpets 
I don't have time to go a lot into the Feast of Trumpets, but the Feast of Trumpets was one of the fall feasts. You had the spring feast, greatest prophetical chapter in the Bible. It's back in Leviticus uh, chapter 23, where he had the Passover. Christ died on the Passover. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He arose on the Feast of First Fruit. Holy Spirit came right on time on the Feast of Pentecost. And then the fall feast, which is the seventh month. And the seventh month, the first one's a Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is the only one not mentioned. And the purpose of the Feast of Trumpets was to look for the shout. You're supposed to look and watch the moon, make sure that, that was to come, a full moon to take place. And you were supposed to be watching and expectancy each year. And it was for Israel to make Aliyah back to, back to Israel, Jews who are all over the world, to make, go back at that time. And it also speaks to us as Christians with the shout. We're supposed to be watching and doing and waiting expectancy for the Lord to come. That is our motivation. It's why we give. That's why we go. That's why we witness. That's why we serve. It's not because we think, well, preacher's going to say something nice about me from the pulpit. No, I get to do these things. I get to give. You know, it's funny. We have no problem giving when it's something we love. But my grandkids would come over. I, I wanted to take my wallet out. Here, what do you want, kids? What can I get you? You know, see a smile on their face. You want, you want ice cream comb? Yeah, let me get you that. I can do that. When you love something, you have no problems. Look at people today in their sports. They got... Jerseys are costing $7,500. Uh, nothing wrong with these things. I'm just trying to say, when it's something you love, they don't have a problem putting it on their car with their favorite sports heroes and all that stuff. Again, nothing wrong with rooting for a team. I'm not trying to say it's bad. What I'm trying to point out is that if you love something, there's no problem of going, oh, do I want to give this time? Should I give a little less? I mean, it's, it's, it's economy's pretty rough. Look, I get to give. I get to uh, give to missions. I get to give to support. I, get my, I owe my tithe and I give my offerings. And I give my mission offerings because, Lord, you've told me I've got to reach the world. And we're doing it through this church. So at the invitation time, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, at, the invi- at this time, I want you to look at your life, look at yourself, this mission conference. Souls around the world are hanging in the balance. There are Jewish people that need to hear the gospel in this community. What are we doing to reach them? There are Gentiles in this community that need to hear the gospel. But not just this community, not just in this area. You've got to think outside of just me, myself, and I, and, and my family. You've got to look around the world. And this church can't do it. They cannot give. This church cannot give what they do not have. And all the money this church needs is right here. It's in your pocket. The question is, are you willing to give? Our gracious Heavenly Father, maybe there's one that's never given their life to Christ. They've never given their, uh, repented of their sins. They never saw themselves as lost. They were good people, uh, honest people, but they just, they come to church, but they never had that personal change for salvation. Maybe at this invitation time, they would come to the front, take the preacher by the hand, and get saved. Maybe there are others that are giving as well, that uh, have given in the past, 
but they've not given with a cheerful heart. They've not been excited about seeing their, their, the, seeing their giving and how much more the gospel is going to get around the world. They've not seen how that meant how God's working in their life on a personal basis. And when God is blessed, we need to give so others can be blessed with the gospel. Lord, you know what each one needs. Lord, we pray that you'll impact them this evening. In Jesus' name I pray and with thanksgiving, amen. Pastor, as you come.